This is the space that we're meeting in um, every week here on Newberry Street in Back Bay. And so, um, yeah, if you're able, we look forward to meeting with you next week here in this space. And as Austin said, we're continuing in the book of Acts. And um, we pray that this book of Acts and the story of the early church is inspiring you into what the church could be. And this is what we long for, this is what we're praying for here in our church in this season, that we would be a church that's on mission, empowered and, and, and embodying the Spirit of God as we go out into our world and advance God's joy in our city. And so just a quick recap of the last two weeks, we've gone through Acts chapter 3, and um, we, we read about a man who, who was lame, he was disabled and from birth, and the disciples saw him in front of the temple gates, and he was asking for help, and they said, we don't have money, but what we can do in the name of Jesus is be healed, and he was healed, and he leaped, and he got to his feet, and... Um, a 40-year-plus-old man was miraculously healed on the spot in front of all of the community. And there was a couple responses that we see here in the book of Acts. And one response was astonishment. People were astonished that this could happen. And the second response was rejection. And that's most of what we see in our passage today is a rejection of what God is doing in this man and in the world. And so this healing is so much bigger and grander than just helping someone in need. Helping someone in need is a good thing. But this, but this healing was larger than that because what it did was it represented the kingdom of God at hand. What it represented was the resurrection of Jesus and that the kingdom of God was coming to earth right before their very eyes. And the claims of the kingdom of God coming is what got Jesus crucified because he was more than a good person. What he represented was God coming to earth, God in the flesh. And when God came to flesh, he was giving the powers of darkness, evil systems and the forces of evil in the world. He was serving them. Notice that light has come, that the kingdom is here, that God is here. And so this breakthrough of the kingdom right here in this situation was serving notice that God is here and that God is on the move. One commentator says this about the disciples. It says, the struggle against those in power that marked the life and death of Jesus was coming for them as well. Like I just said, Jesus was crucified for living out the kingdom on earth. He was killed for it. He was persecuted for it. That opposition came his way. And this is what was coming for the disciples. And this is what we see happening here in Acts chapter 4 today. Because you see, when we engage in the work of the kingdom, as we engage in doing what Jesus did, as we engage in being Jesus 
in our world and bringing the kingdom of God to earth, we experience the opposition and the forces of evil and, and darkness and corrupt systems and power structures because what we represent is the turn of a new era. What we represent is a new kingdom that's coming to earth. And like Jesus, these disciples here in this passage are confronted by the powers and the systems and the evil forces of the world. And so what we see, who, so who confronts these disciples in this passage? It's a group of people called the Sadducees. You see here in verse, in verse 1. And so the Sadducees, they were an aristocratic, wealthy, religious, ruling party. And they collaborated with the Roman power to keep the Jewish community in order. And it says that these Sadducees, when they saw Peter... And John could do this miracle and they're teaching the crowd that says that they disturbed Peter and John, that they disrupted what they were doing in the midst of their proclamation. Because John and Peter were preaching Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And so these Sadducees, these religious leaders, they were aggravated, they were irate, they were irritated, they were, they were provoked. They were provoked so much that they interrupted them in front of the whole crowd and they interrupted them with security. He read the passage, it says they brought the temple guards to these men who were preaching and who had just healed a man who was disabled for over 40 years of his life. They, they showed no concern, they showed no joy for the miracle that just happened. They were mad because these disciples were teaching the people and proclaiming resurrection. And what it says about the Sadducees, one commentator says that they did not believe that anyone but the priests should be instructing the people in spiritual matters. See, John and Peter weren't from their school of, of thought. They didn't have their pedigree. And even more so, they didn't even have a degree. They were, they were fishermen. And, what, and later on in, in this passage, in verse 13, it says that they were ordinary, unschooled people. <laughs> this, is, this is what they said of them. And this is the same beef that they had with Jesus. Who, who is Jesus? What school did he go to? What authority is he getting his teaching from? Who is he to talk to us like this? We know his parents. We know the town that he's from. See, teaching without credentials, teaching something outside and that challenges their structures was, was scary ground for them. This is why they murdered Jesus. This is why right now they're coming with security for Peter and John. One, one commentator says this, anyone making messianic claims was at best mistaken and at worst a political revolutionary posing a threat to their comfortable position. And we know through history and even our current day that power structures deal with threats with power. 
They deal with, with threats with force. They deal with threats with military, with laws, with bans. And they try to snuff out anything that threatens their power or position of authority. This is, this is what's happening here. And, and not only are these disciples unschooled, ordinary men with a crowd around them, winning the people, declaring the message of Jesus, but to talk resurrection was even more offensive because what it says about the Sadducees later in Acts 23 is that they are the people who said there is no resurrection. They didn't teach the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so all these offenses of not being trained and doing healing in the name of Jesus, talking resurrection was enough for them to be thrown into jail. So they were imprisoned for healing in the name of Jesus. They were imprisoned for declaring Jesus as healer and Jesus is the resurrection and the light. So I want you to, I want you to take this in, that they are arrested, that they are taken to jail. And I know for me, I, I would ask while I'm getting cuffed and while I'm getting put into the jail cell, God, how is even part of your plan? How is going to jail even redeemable? Now that I have this on my record, now I can't Go and proclaim your goodness. And I'm trying to do your will. And I'm getting arrested and persecuted for doing your will. And here's what I want you all to hear. The advancement of the church does not occur without opposition. Let me say that again. The advancement of the church does not occur without opposition. Willie James, in his commentary on Acts, says this, The great illusion of followers of Jesus, especially those who imagine themselves leaders, is that they could live a path different from Jesus and his disciples. We know the story of Jesus well, that he did great things and he was persecuted and he died on our behalf. But we, we missed the parts where he says, you too, will carry your cross and the Beatitudes that, that we're blessed if we're persecuted, that we will experience trials, that they hated him, that they're going to hate us. And so, but what he says is that that's the way forward. That, and that's how you know that you're doing the work of God sometimes. If we don't expect or receive any opposition in our walk with Jesus, we have to ask the question, are we following the Jesus of the scriptures or are we following the version of Jesus that we've created? See, Jesus said if we're following him, that these things will come up against us. But he says this, but advancing the kingdom of God he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what he's saying, he's saying one, that even in the midst of whatever's going on, whatever comes against you, that God will prevail, that God will push through that and bring his kingdom and bring his light and bring his shalom and bring 
his goodness and his love. But what that also means is that hell is going to throw everything at us. It's going to throw everything at the people of God to prevent the message and the proclamation and the inbringing of his kingdom here on earth. And this is why Jesus says, take cheer. I've overcome the world. The world the material and the spiritual world at times are going to come against his church because they don't want to see his kingdom come to earth. And so they're taking Jesus, they're taking Peter and John to trial. So they spend the night in jail because they only do trials during the daytime because they arrested them in the evening. And so they're waiting in jail for their day in court. I don't know if you've ever been to court, but it's, it's a very anxious and nerve-wracking process. And, you're, and leading up to the time that you know that you're going to see the judge, you're playing in your mind what you're going to say. You're playing in your mind um, all the possible scenarios based on what you say and the mood the judge is in and all the different layers of the law that you could be prosecuted for. And so they have an opportunity to decide on how and what they're going to say and what they're going to speak and how they're going to respond to this. And so do they want to preserve their lives and their livelihood by compromising or stand for Jesus regardless of the outcome? And I want you to remember that they're, they're not rabbis. They don't have political favors. They're, they're not from the same school or pedigree. They don't have the same status. And so really, at this point, all they have is God. This is all that they have, and their hope is for God to show up. They're not eloquent. They don't have unlimited resources. They're not in the same class or culture as those in power. And they're up against the wall. And all they have is to believe in God's goodness and that he will show up. And this is the place that God wants and loves for, our, for us to be in. A place of total dependence on him. Verse 7, they say the... The Sadducees say to the disciples, they say, by what power or what name did you do this? They're saying, how did you do this? And whose name are you doing this in? And it says in verse 8 that Peter, he responds, but he hears how he responds, filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit speaks. And this is what the Holy, this is how the Holy Spirit speaks to him. He speaks boldly through Peter. But I want to, I want you to understand what boldness means here. N.T. Wright says this about this passage. This didn't just give them boldness in the sense of courage to stand up and say what they thought. Sometimes people can be bold even when they're muddled. It gave them something more, a clarity, a sharp edge. A definite point at which to stand. Jesus said we're going to be in, in places and opportunities where we're challenged, 
where we don't know what to do, but that God's Spirit would tell us what to say, would give us words and insight into the moment, how to speak into it. And this is what happens in this moment, that he's up against the wall and that the Spirit of God comes upon him and he speaks boldly. And he tells them, here's how he responds. He goes, if I'm being on trial for this act of kindness and you want to know how I did it, and whose name I did it in, then here you go, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There you have it, Jesus. It's because of Jesus that this man that you see right here is standing, that we are standing here and speaking to you confidently and boldly because of the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes on to say, this same Jesus that you despised, this same Jesus that you rejected and killed, that same Jesus, God rose to life and has healed this man because Jesus is Lord of all. He is the resurrection. And Peter finishes in verse 12 and he says, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You gotta get this. Peter and John are in the court of the Sanhedrin, 70 ruling religious leaders in front of the whole community asking them about Jesus their fate in their hands, and they stand up, unschooled, uneducated fishermen, and declare boldly to them who Jesus Christ is and how to be saved. You have to understand, the people they're speaking to, their job is to mediate between God and humans and show people how to live for God and how to and how to experience his rescue and Peter is telling them the person of Jesus is the only way to the father and so they shift into their into their ruling in verses 13 through 18 and it says that they saw the courage of Peter and John and they were astonished by it. They were taken back by the way that the Holy Spirit spoke through the apostles. That in their proclamation, they saw Jesus in them. It said that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's remarkable. They're saying in the way in which they responded is as though Jesus was in them. One commentator talks about it this way. More probably perceiving in their whole bearing what identified them with Jesus, that is, we thought we had got rid of him, but lo, he reappears in these men, and all that troubled us in the Nazarene himself has yet to be put down in these his disciples. 
just like with Jesus, that they would try him, that they would test him, and they would try to corner him, and the Spirit of God would speak through Jesus and silence them. And in the same way, they're experiencing that with the apostles. That the way that they're speaking to them, the way that they're talking about Jesus, the authority that they have, the presence of God in their lives, it says that they had nothing to say. This 70-member ruling council that knows the scriptures from frontwards to backwards, the sages, all the writings, the history, the literature, they have nothing to say. They have no rebuttal. And so they huddle, they confer, and they get together and they ask themselves, what are we going to do with these men? They themselves say it's undeniable that that man was healed, that disabled man was healed, and the whole world knows it and sees it. What are we going to do with these men? And so they, their solution is they issue a formal ban in proclaiming Jesus. They command, it says they commanded the apostles, that they can no longer teach or speak about the name of Jesus, about the person of Jesus. They are fearful that the teachings of Jesus would upset their power structure. What if all the common people started proclaiming liberation and resurrection in Jesus? And so they forbid it. They try to instill fear. It's their weapon of choice. It's the tactic of the enemy today. Think about all the time that you might hold back from doing or saying something and proclaiming Jesus or the kingdom. Here comes that voice. What will people say? What will people think? Will this affect my job? Will this affect my opportunities down the line? See, what the enemy, what our opposition, what our wants to do is to get you to be silent, is to get you to be passive about living out the way of Jesus in the world. And so Peter and John reply to this ruling that they can no longer declare or speak of Jesus at all. And Peter responds to the fear tactic. He responds to their ban by saying, I fear God more than I fear humans. This is what he essentially says. Which is right, to obey and listen to you or listen to God? And then he says this, and I love this. He says this in verse 20. He says, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. He's saying, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you threaten me with. It doesn't matter what comes my way. We can't help but declare who he is and the resurrection. We've come too far. We've seen too much. We've experienced our own death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus. He's made us new. He's given us life. He's filled us with his spirit. And we cannot contain it or, can, or hold back from declaring who he is and, 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 and establishing his kingdom right here 
on earth. And this church is the kind of boldness and passion and confidence that God longs for us to live into. In the passage, after he says that, it says that they continued to threaten them. He tells them, I'm, there's no way I'm going to be quiet. And they continue to threaten them. They get nowhere. And it says that they release them. No charges. They let them go. So Peter and John, they're released from jail. From, they declared, they, they preached the gospel boldly and courageously before the people, before the court, and God shows up. God releases them and they head back, not to isolation, they head back to their community, they head back to the family of God, to the church, and they come back and they tell them all that's happened. He tells them everything that's happened. And it says this in verse 24, look at it, it says, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They prayed. I just, I, I can imagine going to jail for my faith and coming and getting miraculously released what I would pray. Here's what I would pray. Whew, that was a close one, God. Thank you for getting me out of that. And please, Lord, never again. I don't ever want to experience that again. Don't ever let that happen again, Lord. See, how you pray says a lot about what you believe about God and what you believe that God wants to do in the world and through you. And so I want you to look at the way they prayed because they prayed as though they believe the kingdom is advanced in the midst of adversity. They believed the way that Jesus brought glory to the Father and the kingdom to earth was through trial, was through temptation, was through persecution. And so they pray in the same manner for themselves. Look at verse 29. Look at this. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You see their threats. Enable us, Lord, to speak your word with great boldness. Essentially, they're saying, do it again. Lord, do, do what you did today. Do it again. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for the power of the Spirit to come upon them because they're going into the world to face opposition willingly and with joy. They didn't pray for fire to come down, right? I was illegally pulled over. I was called out by this group of people, Lord, bring fire on them. No, they didn't pray that way. They prayed for the fire to come within them so they can proclaim who you are to the world. They prayed for a greater release of God's power. They didn't pray to stop persecution. They didn't pray to be delivered. They prayed for boldness to proclaim Jesus. 
This is their prayer for the boldness of Jesus in their lives to, to proclaim his name. They're praying, Lord, let us live in a continued place of faithfulness. We want to be faithful because we want your kingdom to come. They say also in their prayer in verse 30, they say, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, continue to do works like this. The way you healed this man, heal the world. Work through us, your church, your body, and the world to bring healing and reconciliation and justice and life and light to the world. They didn't just pray as a last resort. This was the engine of the church. This is what enlivened and, and fueled them. And this is what they built their community on. They prayed together. They were in unity. They had the same mindset, desires, and mission. God, give us, give us boldness to do your work. This is after they prayed. Verse 31. Where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the kind of posture that God honors that it's for him, it's for his glory, not to us, but unto you be the glory. God, whatever may come my way, I want to be faithful in declaring who you are. And in unity, they don't rest on their laurels. They don't take a vacation. They pray and they say, God, do it again. We're together in this. May your kingdom come. And it says that God honored their prayer. He shakes the place and he fills them with his spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. They're praying the right prayer. One theologian, Warren Wiersbe, says this. Do not pray for a task equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. Church, we have a big mission in front of us. We can go all the way down the list, just in our city alone, the things that are broken. Right here, right in front of us, right on our literal doorsteps, we need each other. There's a power in unity. There's a, there's a way that God shows up and shakes the place when we're together. And we need a deep dependence on God's spirit. We cannot change the world the way we read about in the scriptures without God's spirit filling us and sending us out and giving us specific prophetic words and imagination for what God wants to do in our day. We need the word of God as our sword to push back the darkness and proclaim the message, the good news, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the resurrection and the truth and the life. Because the advancement of the church does not occur without opposition. And so we need the boldness of the Spirit to head out into our world to proclaim this message. 
Listen, as all that we're reading in this, in this, in the book of Acts, in the story of the church, is a story of revival. See, we, what we miss sometimes in this story is that five thousand people came to Jesus. Five thousand, and there's probably more. In the midst of all that's going on, you could get so bent on the jail part and miss that God used that and he's saving people. He's, I, the result of that is as the church comes together in light of this story, you see radical generosity and a hunger for the works of God in the midst of trial. And maybe some of the challenges that we have experienced last year and a half, maybe the challenges that you might be experiencing right now is an invitation from God for the kingdom to break out in your life. And so we are committed as a church to be a people of prayer, people who are saying, God, let your spirit fall on us and send us out in your power with your love. Because we need a Holy Spirit boldness to declare to our world that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, you are a good God and you want the whole world to know that Jesus is Lord. That God so loved the world that he gave his son. And God, we thank you that we are called by your name. You've given us everything we need to live a godly life. So I pray for radical generosity. I pray for a hunger for your word. I pray for a pursuit of your presence and prayer and radical service and laying down ourselves for the world around us that you may be exalted. So we bless your name and what you're doing, Lord. Let your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everyone have a blessed week and we'll see you here in person next week. God bless.